My daddy's gone on, my grandpa's gone on, my great-grandpa's gone on. But they still live. You know, the, the spray is still here. They tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a home far away. Hello and welcome everybody. You're listening to It Still Lives, the Foxfire podcast, where we take you on a journey through Southern Appalachian history, one story at a time. I'm your host, Cami Ahrens, and today we're going to take a close look at a topic of interest to many as we come to the end of harvest season and begin to prepare for winter, and that is food preservation. When I was thinking about topics, I'm not going to lie, I was running a little bit behind this month, I couldn't help but notice in the news Um, you know, the terrible situation that's going on with all of our shipping containers and a lot of people talking about um, concerns over food shortages and what the repercussions of those shipping shortages are going to be. I know for many people in Appalachia and in other areas of the country, canning is just a regular part of your annual cycle. I know a lot of people who look forward to the summer's harvests and making all kinds of jams and jellies out of fruits that are widely available and then come fall starting to make those wonderful chutneys, chow chows, pickled beans, um, and all of those wonderful things. And they do absolutely play an important part in what we put on our tables, both in Appalachia and outside Appalachia. But I think a lot of us maybe are unaware of (laughs) just how important Um, these traditions of food preservation were to people in the mountains and certainly other rural areas um, throughout the United States. Preservation was essential to your survival throughout the winter. You know, we're looking back on a time in a relatively isolated area that didn't have ready access to ports or to stores or to main transportation thoroughfares. And so looking at a region that's set back in a rural area and certainly a challenging geography and in a time before electricity (laughs) Um, and modern um, technological developments that enable us to store as much as we want in a freezer inside our house. Um, You know, refrigeration really wasn't common in most households until the 1940s or later. Um, So up until then, people had to rely on other practices in order to keep their food crops throughout the winter. When you don't have grocery stores to go to, and you can't just run down to your local McDonald's to pick up something to eat, um, you really have to think far, far ahead in order to provide for yourself and your family. Um, And you can't just rely on cornmeal to get you through the winter. You have to have other ways of acquiring nutrition and not just to avoid scurvy, but because we know how important protein and other macronutrients are to our diets, even today. And so people developed all of these different techniques that certainly built on techniques through cultural sharing and through immigration and other aspects. And those are the things that we continue to practice today. Um, I would say probably the entry level to food preservation is drying. And that's simply taking your fruit, your vegetables, in some cases you can do meat if you do it properly, and dry it out in the sun. And then you have something that's gonna last for a year, two years, somewhere down the line. One of the interviews we're going to listen to today is just on a type of food called leather britches, like like your pants, leather britches like pants. This is something that is pretty unique to Appalachia, although I think the process of 
drying beans, which are the, the leather britches, is probably something we could find in most cultures. Um, here in Appalachia, people would string their um, summer harvest of beans. Um, so they would literally thread them onto a string and then they would hang them up often on their porch or in just a sunny spot and allow them to dry until they were completely brittle. Um, the name comes from the fact that when the beans were completely dried, they looked like leather britches that had been hung out to dry. And then people would take those dried beans and store them in cloth sacks or later jars and keep them in a cool, dry place until they were ready to use them. And then you would boil them in water until they were soft enough to eat. And usually that would take about four hours. So it's a very long process, but it's definitely a, a culinary delicacy here <laughs> nowadays. Um, and certainly a staple back in the 19th century and even well into the 20th century, people still really um, relied on leather britches as a food source. Something else we're gonna hear about today is fermentation. Um, we've talked a little bit about fermentation in other podcasts and um, in other virtual offerings. So I won't go too much into fermentation as I'm sure most people are well acquainted with the term now, but fermentation was an important part of food preservation because it helped kill some of those microorganisms that can, can threaten you and kept the food safely for a longer period of time. Obviously, we're all familiar with fermentation in terms of alcohol, but fermentation is also important for different types of food, namely in this region at least, uh, sauerkraut. And sauerkraut is a byproduct of cabbage. So here they would pack... Um, chop and pack cabbage leaves down in a churn with salt and the juice that was um, secreted from the cabbage as the salt worked on it would then basically ferment into a vinegar and this cabbage would be transformed into what, to what we know as sauerkraut. So even though many people may not eat it today, <laughs> sauerkraut was definitely a, a cabinet staple here in Appalachia. And um, in many places, in many homes still is. Um, cabbage is still a very important crop here. And then finally, probably the thing that most people are familiar with or perhaps practice in their homes is canning. Canning took on a couple of different <laughs> appearances throughout uh, history. And canning as we know it today really is more of a modern practice, even though we think of it as hands-on, homesteading, historic, way of keeping food. It, it is relatively modern compared to everything else. Canning was officially discovered in history books in the late 1790s when Napoleon Bonaparte, yes, Napoleon Bonaparte of France, uh, challenged his citizens to come up with a better method of food preservation. And he offered a cash reward for this. And the reason was he needed a way to fuel his armies. So as Napoleon was setting his sights on conquering Europe, he recognized that in order to make those advancements, you have to have people and to have people who are working to the best of their ability, they have to be fed properly. So you can't, you can't just feed them on bad food. They're not gonna get anything done. So he needed a way to transport large amounts of food that would be shelf stable for a long period of time. This is Think about this as like the, the birth of MREs. So I uh, you know how far we've come in terms of being able to feed our armies. So Napoleon put out this challenge and an inventor named um, Nicholas, I'm not gonna embarrass myself by pronouncing his last name. You can find it on our website. He took processes that were used to preserve wine and applied them to food. And that was essentially a 
vacuum seal in a hot water bath. And so he didn't really fully understand why he did what he did and why it worked, but he knew that it worked. Um, and so he was awarded Bonaparte's prize and he published a book about what he had learned. And this kind of kicked off um, all of the developments that led to modern day canning. And so he identified the water bath, um, which helps you know, kill bacteria, and then creating the, that vacuum seal, um, which creates a deficient environment where microorganisms can't thrive. And so um, an English man, I believe Peter Durand, shortly after Nicholas published his book, he submitted a patent for a tin can. And this was really a huge step forward because up until the tin can, people had been using either crockery, so like pottery, or a very limited supply of hand-blown or maybe, I'm going to say primitively, very loosely here, <laughs> molded glass jars. Certainly something like a wine bottle is what you would think, but, but mass manufacturing hadn't really occurred yet in terms of vessels like these. So the tin can was a huge step forward, and then it's not until the 1860s that we see the appearance of our beloved mason jar, and it's not until the 1880s that Ball starts manufacturing those jars for home use. So when I talk about modern, I mean, we're, we're looking at the past 140 years, which is very, very new in terms of historical developments, especially when it comes to food. Once jars were readily available, then home canning really took off in a new direction. And what you'll hear in some of these interviews is people talking about their childhoods and their parents still canning with stoneware jars and very limited in terms of what they put into some of those jars and they don't go too in-depth in these interviews but in some of the foxfire books you can learn a little bit more about these processes but basically they would take cloth or paper and layer it with starch flour water paste or wax if they have it and so they would create these layers <laughs> on top of a stoneware canning jar, which would probably be about 10 or 12 inches tall. And they would layer that on top of it and then tie it with a string and that would effectively create that seal. And the last interview that's featured in this podcast, John Freeman, he talks about when he remembers his mom getting her first glass jars. So again, very recent in terms of history and food ways. Um, but this is probably the most popular today in terms of food, home food preservation. Now, just an aside, we're all smart, <laughs> and we should all know that before we undertake any process of preserving food, we should learn what we're doing. That also means that even if something's in a Foxfire book, as true as it is, we may still need to do extra research <laughs> before we follow those directions. Because things have changed, right? We've learned new stuff, and I just wanna make sure that everybody's safe because you can get very, 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 very sick if you do not can or preserve your food properly. So please, if you're thinking about trying something new, I highly encourage it, but just do it in a smart and responsible way and make sure that you do your research. And if you're in need of any resources, um, references at all, I'd be happy to point you in the right direction for some of those. Definitely jump on over to our website, www.foxfire.org. I will have some links there to some sites that have information about the history of canning. And certainly from those sites, you can learn more about those processes and doing them today as well. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to our interviews today. We're sitting down with Andy and Bashi Webb, Ms. Norton, 
Harriet Eccles, Bessie Underwood, and John Freeman. What are these, by the way, I've been meaning to ask you, what are these hanging on the wall here? And they're the wretched beans. Now, what, what, are, what are they again? <laughs> I've never seen that. <laughs> they're the wretched beans. I make them you every take year. take them, she dries them that way. She strings them on the thread when they're green, dries them that way. So when you take them, put them, take them off that thread, put them in a pot of water, kind of scold. Yeah. So good hunk of meat in with them, cook them. Now, they something good to eat. They're good? I've they never had sure it. They sure <laughs> They're leather breeches. Why do they call them leather that? Leather breeches beans. Why do they call them that? I don't know. It's just... Huh. <coughs> I guess that's easier than canning them or something, isn't it? Oh, yes. And they won't spoil. Huh. And they're just as good. They're, they're, they're good. I'd rather have them this time can be. I've never had that. I'm going to have to try that sometime. You don't have to do anything to them. Just string them up, huh? Yeah, just take your string off and put the string on. <laughs> yeah. And how do you cook them? You just... You just put them in the pot and powder boil them a little and uh -huh. take them off with a thread and put them in your pot and cook them. Huh. That's... June 15, 1983, Granny Gibson. We used to take green beans and, and and dry them and make what they call leather bridges out of them. How would you do that? Well, you... We used to string them up on a string, this... and hang them up and they'd dry. And then, whenever they dried them in the wintertime, you'd, make, you'd put them in your pot and... You'd, meat in with them and cook them a long time. They call that leather bridges. They was good. Did you can a lot? I used to did. You don't do much canning? I don't. Mm -mm. What do you freeze it? Freeze it. Mm -hmm. I don't guess there's any special. Did you have any special way of canning? Well I have canned with the pressure cooker and I have canned this in a, just cook it in a Dish pan or whatever and put it in the cans. I guess the important thing is to make sure it's sealed. Mumps, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you used to be before pressure cookers, how would you seal it? Would you put it in a. Well, you just have to. How would you seal the tops? Well, you have have old, old time lid. Zinc caps, zinc lids. Right. And we use them. Before we got the, the other, the new kind. <laughs> How about cabbage? We used to make crowd out of cabbage. <laughs> Alright, now, I know that seems everybody on the house, but how would you make crowd, for example? Well, we just cut it up and, and put, and put it, we used to have a churn, you know, to make it. They'd put a layer a layer of uh, cabbage and then put salt and then another layer and put salt until it got full and then we pour cold water on that. Right. And 
and set it back and make crack. How long did it take? How long did you have to let it sit back? Oh, about three weeks, I guess. Something like that. You set it in a cool place? Set it in a cool place. You have to lay it down or it comes, goes coming up or something. You have to, we used to put a, put a saucer and and put a rag down in on top of it and put a rock, have a rock good and clean and put down on top of that to keep it weighted down. Pack. Uh-huh, keep it back down. I guess when it starts working or yeah, something. Yeah, it goes to coming up. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we weighed it down with a rock. There's <laughs> 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 all kinds of ways they well, That's pretty interesting. And that pickled beans. Uh, well, you can do them the same way. You cook them. You cook them till they're pretty tender, and then you pour them out and let them cool. We used to pour ours out on the, just a table and let them cool, and then you pack them in your turn and do them the same way you do crab. Mm -hmm. Makes pickle beans. Mm -hmm. Do you have to can those pickle beans? Yeah, them? you can after they get after they get made. After they get made, then you can. You can kind of heat them enough to just get them hot and then can them. You can do crap that way too. Yeah, same way. You want to scald your jars five gallons or any large vessel and wash your cabbage and trim the outside leaves off to get down to white firm cabbage. Then you chop them up real fine and pack about a, well, you put a layer of salt about heaping tablespoonful and about that much of sugar in the bottom. Then you put in about a gallon of your cabbage and pack them down and keep filling one layer after another the same way till you get your jar full. Press it down till the juice comes up over it. Then you've got to have something to weight it down with. And you take a saucer or anything that'll fit in your jar and put in there. And then put you something to weight it, a white flint rock if you wash it and boil it good first. You can put it on top of it and tie some, about two layers of cloth over it. Let it work, it'll take you from two to three weeks to work and get the right sourness. Then pack it in glass jars and put it in a hot water bath canner and let it come to a boil to seal it and it'll keep for a year or two. Yeah, but what do you put the, you say when the water comes up over what, the cabbage? Yeah. And you put the saucer down in on top of the cabbage. Yes, you just put them in layers in the bottom mm -hmm. of the And then you put the plate in on top of it mm -hmm. and weight it down with the rock. Yes. And where you put the cloth around? You put your rock on, then the cloth and tie it. Cloth around what? Over the top of the jar. It's got to be some, some air can get in. And then there's something about uh, just preserving cabbage, you know, just on the ground, like, you know. 
Well, people used to pull them up by the roots and spread, dig them out of a ditch and throw the dirt up and make it a little higher what in the ground. And then they put straw or hay straw over, over the ground and pulled them cabbage up and laid them with heads up next to one end. Then they laid the next heads on them roots and you could make as big a pack as you wanted to and cover them with straw and throw dirt over and they'd keep most of the winter. You believe in planting by the signs, don't you? Yes, ma'am. What about cooking by the signs? Well, I, it, it, you can make jelly on the, <laughs> the moon and then have jelly heap cooking you will on the fuller's moon. There's hey, more water. Now you'll have jelly when? Quicker. You, your, 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 food, your juice will gel quicker, make it on the near the moon than it will on the big moon. Well. <laughs> it will. Do you have anything else that you cook by the signs? Just your jelly. Well. What about you, canning beans and? Well, I, I just can the beans when I have them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I got the beans, I can. This is Bit Carver. Me and Susie Nichols are going to interview Bessie Underwood on gardening, holidays, hard times, wedding and courting customs, all, oh, everything. Uh, the date's June 18th, 1975. You don't mind if I take recording music? No, not. Did she always usually just uh, store, how did she store the food up? Did she just can it? Or? Well, most, back then, it was pickled and dried. I don't remember just when Mama got her first fruit jars. And we just canned and pickled and dried. Mama dried apples, I've seen her dry sweet potatoes, and we used to dry pumpkin. And one year she dried some okra. Was it good? Well, I guess, I don't exactly remember whether it was good or not. I know I ate some of it, but I just don't remember. <coughs> Um, how did you start um, saving it, the vegetables and stuff during the well, well, when they when they got they had to start with to half of the table, you know, just for the homies, and then mother would have another patch of beans. But when the cornfield beans come, she started then in the cabbage patch. She made crab. And they pickle corn and beans and and uh, made crap. And then they gathered the parsnips and the carrots and turnips and both the sweet potatoes and our potatoes. We had peas and the soup beans. We raised the soup beans. She did to have the water supply. And then uh, at the old place, there was all kind of fruits. I mean, apples for different seasons. There's more apples. There was plums and a few peaches, but not many. And uh, she dried apples then to go with the garden vegetables. Then as, as the vegetables began to get ready to can, we didn't know what canning was. She, mother had barrels that you pickled beans and made the crab. 
you know, like they do now. Yeah. I guess you all, all know how to make crowns. And we had, uh, there wasn't any cans, any glass cans like we have, jars, most people call them now. And we raised everything. We had our chickens, we had cows, we had our homegrown milk and butter, and we had our eggs and chickens to kill. We always raised our own pork at home. And as I started to tell you about their food, they didn't have any refrigeration at all, but they had them up, they put their stuff in their milk and butter and uh, their eggs and uh, dried foods. There wasn't many fruit jars. Dried foods and fruits, dried food was the practical, uh, that's the most food they had, you know, and, they, and shell beans, dried beans, things like that. They had no green beans, or and they also pickled. They had a way of pickling and bleaching. They took uh, brimstone, and uh, brimstone, will you ever see any? Mm-mm. It's a it's a bar of stuff. It's just like sulfur, but it's made in a bar and it'll burn, and it has the same effect that sulfur do, does. And they <clears throat> peel them a great big tub half full of fruit and apples or peaches or anything they want to bleach. They sometimes bleached beans, green beans, and then they'd put a piece of that stuff, put a little far and ashes in a saucer or something and then they'd put a piece of that old brimstone in there and put it right down set it right down in that and then they put something over it and you know uh, it never would spoil it would just keep right on and on it tasted just a little bit with the, like sulfur tasted a little bit like that but it was fresh mm-hmm. it was like a good green apple in the winter time and uh, that's the way they preserved their food. Uh, I can remember when mother had only 12 uh, glass fruit jars, and we was proud of them. I hope you enjoyed this brief little look at food preservation in Southern Appalachia. If you're interested in learning more about anything you heard today, just head on over to our website, www.boxfire.org, where you'll be able to find some links that I've included to different articles about what we've listened to today. If you want more than that, you can always shoot me an email at itstilllives at boxfire.org with any of your questions um, or reach out to us on social media. You, You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. That's at boxfire.org. We'll be happy to help you find um, any books or references that you need. And we want to hear about what you're making this uh, fall with your summer harvest. Share those pictures and stories with us, again, through email or social media. And we will be back next month with our final episode of season three. Thanks for hanging in there, guys, and making this a great year. We'll look forward to talking to you next time. Have a good one. If you don't like that, you can throw it away.